Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. This morning, I want to start out by reading scripture. And I want you to, I want you to, I want you to put yourself in the word this morning. Goes like this. Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to the other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. That is Isaiah's vision of God. And the statement I want to say today is this. God doesn't change. That is the same God that you are worshiping today. That's him. That's the same God. Well, pastor, it's not so scary anymore. Maybe it should be a little bit more. We'll leave that there. We're going to get it. Today's topic is on worship. We're going to talk about worship today. And it's going to kind of... I don't know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be like, some people will be like, yeah, that's what, I, that's, what, that's what I always thought. I think some of us might be surprised. This one challenged me. As I was reading these passages um, about, you know, there's, there's passage in Isaiah, there's passages in, um, in Revelation. I've been studying Revelation for our class on, on uh, Tuesday mornings, uh, excuse me, Wednesday mornings. And I found myself just like choking up reading the word because it was so beautiful and so unattainable to my mind. And this is the God I serve. And you get that feeling of, like Isaiah is saying, I'm undone. The, the passage of that, the, the original text for that word undone means I'm, un, I'm unmade. I'm, I'm unraveled. It's like, it's like in a contemporary understanding of like, my DNA is just unraveling in front of the greatness, the splendor, the glory, the majesty of this God. I, I, I feel like I'm just being undone. And I was, I could get real dramatic and say, I was weeping. I wasn't weeping. I was tearing up because of the beauty of it. And it, and it recentered me and like, okay, let's talk about this today. So, 
The title today is Worship That Pleases God. Worship That Pleases God. And the big idea is this. Worship is not just a moment of celebration. Worship is a lifestyle that is humble, grateful, and obedient. It puts God on the throne of our lives because he is worthy and we just aren't. I worded it that way on purpose. We just aren't. We just aren't. In comparison to the God of Isaiah's vision, of John's visions, we just aren't. And we've got to keep ourselves in a proper place. What is worship? Scott and I have talked about this like often. What is worship? What, what, are, we, what are we doing? Is it ceremony? Is it passion? Is it an attitude of the heart? Can we fake worship? Can our worship, ooh, here we go. Can our worship grieve God? So the writer of Chronicles has concerns for worship. Through emphasizing the priesthood, the ark, and the temple, the writer tries to hone in on what should not be forgotten in Israel's worship. You've got to remember, these guys are coming out of Babylon. It's been a long time since they've had the practices of temple worship, um, <coughs> what it means, all this stuff. So he, he's, he's going back. Remember what last week's sermon is why we remember? He's going back to different stories in the timeline of Israel, and he's emphasizing certain things. Okay? So, 1 Chronicles chapter 10. If you would open your Bible, we're going to go linearly through uh, 10, 11, 12. We're going to be going through and looking at different things. So if you open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 10, that's where we're going to start today. And it says this. Verse 13. Remember, uh, the chronicler is trying to emphasize certain things with his narrative. Here we go. Saul died for his unfaithfulness to the Lord because he did not keep the Lord's word. Let me, let, me, let me highlight that for you for a second, okay? Let me, let me bold that text for you. Why did he die? Why was he not king anymore? Because he did not keep the Lord's word. That's one thing. He even consulted with mediums for, for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. He did not keep the Lord's word, and he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turn the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Now we're going to start ramping up. In 1 Chronicles chapter 11, there's a few things that happen. We're just going to kind of move through these things. They anoint David as the king. Now, he's already been anointed by God, by Samuel, but the, this anointing is recognition of the nation, the tribes of Israel, that, that David is going to be the next king. So he's anointed a king. He captures Jerusalem. David goes and captures Jerusalem to make that the capital of Israel. Now, why is that important? It's important because of history. This is a living history, right? So David knew the history of that spot. That spot 
where the Jebusites were living on the, mount, uh, the mountain of Jerusalem was the very place where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. But God said no, and he, he, he confirmed the covenant in that spot. So this is an important place for David. And then it goes on, and it, it gives the exploits of David's mighty men. Okay? In chapter 12, David gains the support of the tribes of Israel. So he's been anointed by the leaders. Um, he captures Jerusalem, and now he's been given support. And this is a high point. You've got to remember, David, to this point, has been skulking in caves and in the wilderness with his ruffian army. These guys were snaggletooth. I'll tell you what. If you read the exploits of these guys, they were like murder machines. These guys were tough. I mean, you talk about you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was like the Davidic universe of heroes. These guys were crazy. Um, you know, I, I, I marvel. See, I, I read a lot of books. Um, I really like, they inspire me about um, the Navy SEALs. These guys are snaggletooth. These guys are, ugh. These guys are the real deal. They're disciplined. They're ruthless when they need to be. These, were the, these guys were the Navy SEALs of the day, and probably, I don't know, these guys were crazy. But this is a high point. They get Jerusalem, they, everything's going well, and, the, and the, the tribes come, and they support David as their king. So verse 38 of chapter 12 says this. All these warriors lined up in battle formation, came to Hebron, wholeheartedly determined to make David king over all of Israel. All the rest of Israel was also of one mind to make David king. They spent three days there eating and drinking with David, for their relatives had provided for them. In addition, their neighbors from as far away as Issachar and, uh, and Zebulon and Nephtali came and brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen, abundant provision of flour, fig cakes, raisins, wine, and oil, herds and flocks. Indeed, there was joy in Israel. Pretty high point, right? Pretty awesome. So David gets an idea. First Chronicles 13, verse 1. David, and I want, this is in bold and this is highlighted as well, because I want you to hearken back to what we said about Saul. Why was Saul deposed? Because he didn't obey God and he didn't consult with God, right? David consulted with his leaders, the commanders of hundreds and of thousands. Wait, what, wait a minute. It's a high point. Everything's going great. Then he said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if this is from the Lord our God, let us spread out and send the message to the rest of the uh, relatives in all the districts of Israel, including the priests and the Levites in their cities with uh, pasture lands, that they should gather together with us. 
Then let us bring the ark of our God, for we did not inquire of Saul in those days. Do you see the weird? He's like, we didn't didn't inquire of Saul in those days, but I'm asking you what we should do. And you, you guys good with this? It's like David was like drunk on his own legend. He thinks in his mind that he's going to do something good. That he is, and we're going to get, let's just get into it. Okay. Since this proposal seemed right to all the people, the whole assembly agreed to do it. So David did it. There's, there's a missing element here. Right? If it's, if it's okay with God and if it's okay with you, you know, back in the day, we didn't consult God. They're like, yeah, let's do it. He's like, let's go. There's a missing piece here. So David assembled all Israel from the Shahar of Egypt to the entrance to Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kareth, Jerem. David and all Israel went to Bala. Now, this is Kareth, Jerem. That belongs to Judah, okay? And this is about 10 miles. If you look at the map, this is about 10 miles west of Jerusalem. Now, this is important because this is the place the ark was dropped when the Philistines gave it back. Remember the Philistines? Up to this point, Philistines and the Israelites are just going at it tooth and nail. And they stole the ark of the covenant and they put, they, they put it on a cart and they brought it to their temple because they thought it was an important religious uh, thing. They brought it to their temple, and they put it up in the temple of Dagon. And they, you know, they were a you know, polytheistic group. They thought, man, we worship Dagon. We'll, we'll worship, you know, we'll just, whatever we, whatever we need to have favor with the gods. The next day, Dagon's on his face in front of the ark which is where David should be right now. So they set it back up again. And the next day, Dagon's back on his face and his hands and his head are broken off, which is where David will be if he doesn't catch up. It's where Saul ended up. So that, 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 so. The Philistines put this Ark of the Covenant on a, on a cart, and they just let the, the cart go with the cattle, and it stopped here, 10 miles west of Jerusalem. And that's where it's been ever since. So they went there to take from there the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, At Abinadab's house, they set the ark of God on a new cart. Uzzah and Ahio, Ahio, I don't know how to spell it. Were guarding the cart. Now, this is this is this is a commentary I want you to really, really listen to. It's unpleasing to God to worship the sacred the way pagans do. They are bringing the ark in the same fashion that a bunch of heathens carried the ark. 
What do you mean? What's wrong with that? There are ways that you carry the ark. There are proper ways to worship. And God says, it's not okay when my people settle for pagan practices in the worship of the sacred. Where do we find out how to properly worship? The chronicler is saying, you got to go back to the word. You got to go back to the history. You got to go back. Now you're going to be like, oh, pastor, you're getting real legalistic. No, I'm not. Watch out. Here we go. Here we go. So they did this. Like, Hi, Pastor, I thought you were going to talk about worship today. I am. I'm talking about it right now. Here's a thought for you. We don't go to worship. I'm going to go to worship this morning. You don't go to worship. Worship is not a prescription or a sacred to-do list, although there's elements of that. That's not all of worship. Worship is our heart toward God. Worship is our heart toward God. So verse 8, David and all of Israel were dancing with all their might before God, with songs and with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. Now that sounds like charismatic service right there. Dancing and music and celebration, right? We, we, we understand that, right? We understand that, right, Scott? Like this part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like that part. <clears throat> and it's what charismatic services all often look like. But this is not worship. This is celebration. Let's be careful we don't conflate worship with celebration. Worship with celebration. Are you saying that celebration is not worship, Pastor? Or it can't be worship? No, I'm not saying that. But worship is more than just the celebration. It's more than emoting. You asked me earlier, can you fake worship? Absolutely. Absolutely. You could fake it. And sometimes it says, the Bible says, you know, Offer up a sacrifice of worship. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. I get that part. But I'm telling you, there's people who worship, and everybody looks at them and says, wow, that person knows how to worship. And it's all show. It's all celebration. Unfortunately, we in the charismatic portion of the church as a whole, we have more of that than others. We got to be careful. It's more than emoting. And if we're not careful, our worship can literally be displeasing to God. Well, how do you know that? Well, here we go. Verse 9. When they came to Chidden's threshing floor, remember, remember, when they came there, I want to just remind you, what were they doing? They were dancing with all their might before God with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. This is what they're doing as they're coming to this threshing floor. This is what Uzzah is doing. Uzzah reached out to hold the ark because, of the oxen had, because the oxen had stumbled. 
Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had reached out to the ark. And he died there in the presence of God. Celebration over. Pastor, you're getting pretty hard today. Verse 11. David was angry. Think about this for a second. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means outbursts against Uzzah. (laughs) That's what it means. And it's still named that today. David was angry that God had ruined his celebration. What is worship about? It's worship about the God of the universe, the God of Ezekiel's vision, the God of uh, the Apostle John's vision. Is that what worship is about? Or is worship about us? Scott and I have sat in my office and talked long and hard about what, a, what is a worship song. And you, some of you guys might say, you know, I wish, I wish Pastor and wish Scott, we wish we'd sing my favorite song from, you know, Caleb or something like that. There's a lot of good songs out there, but they're not all worship songs. They're not bad songs. They're just not worship songs. What is a worship song? It's a song that reflect, that, that shows the glory of God and reflects that glory back to him. That's what a worship song is. It can be fast, it can be slow, it can be done with just voices, it can be done with cymbals and trumpets and all this stuff, but it's got to be about God, not about us. There's a lot of songs out there that are coming out from different worship bands and stuff like that. They're great songs, but they're not necessarily worship songs. They're all about me and my problems and how I, how God has talked to me, you know, that's all fine and good, but that's not a worship song. Worship has got to be about God because when we're in the presence of God, when we're in the presence of God, it should be thick with the glory of God. So David was angry that God had ruined his celebration. In this moment, in this moment, I feel like David was like the idol in the, in the Philistine temple. In front of the ark of God, in the presence of God, he was on his face. He was laid flat. All his plans. I'm sure there was plans. I'm sure that the, you know, they, they had planned to do something after this point. Okay, this is only getting them about halfway to Jerusalem. I'm sure there was a celebration. I'm sure there was sacrifices that were going to be made. I'm certain that there was more of a plan than just driving this thing up a hill. All of that stopped. And they had, and David had to have a moment to reevaluate his position toward God. Verse 12. David feared God that day and said, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? So David did not bring the ark of God home to the city of David. Instead, he delivered it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of God remained with Obed-Edom's family and house 
for three months. And the Lord blessed his family and all that he had. Ultimately, this event made David fearful of God, and he asked, how can I bring the ark of God to me? How can I even do this? What happened? He gained greater reverence for God. He gained, a proper, wor- he, he gained and proper worship through the priesthood. He learned that worship was not about the feels. Worship is not always about how it feels. Did you realize that worship doesn't, ma- doesn't rely on how you're feeling that day? Well, I'm not feeling it today, so I'm not going to go worship God. Or I'm not feeling it today. What? Is he God or is he not? Is he worthy of praise, glory, and honor, or is he not? The way we feel really shouldn't factor into how we worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Does that make sense? Because he either is God or he's not. He's worthy of worship no matter how you're feeling. Worship, David realized that worship is not about him. It's not about him. It's about this, uh, it's about this unfathomably amazing indescribably beautiful, completely other, and terrifyingly holy God. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel is trying to get this through the brain of Saul, the first king, and he says this, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. We could say it this way. To obey is better than worship. To obey, to have a heart humble and obedient to God is better than worship. And to pay attention is better than sacrifice. So David's at a moment where he has to figure out what this is. The next thing we read about David's interaction with the ark is that he makes a tent for the ark and decrees that only the Levites could carry it. Turn to chapter 15, verse 1. So in a three-month period of time, this is what happens. David built a three-year period of time. David builds a house for himself in the city of David, and he prepares the place for the ark of God and pitches a tent for it. Then David said, now here we go. Check the change here. Ready? No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. So David summoned the priests, verse 11. And the Levites, verse 12, he said to them, you are the heads of the Levite families. You and your relatives must consecrate yourselves so that you may bring the ark of the Lord God of Israel to this place I have prepared for it. For the Lord our God burst out in anger against us because you Levites were not with us the first time. Do you see that? Do you see that? 
He's like, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm gonna, we're going to do this again. And we're going to do it right. We're going to make sure that we have the right attitude towards God. That we have, uh, we, we checked the text. And we understand what it looks like to worship this great God. It's more important than we were giving it. It's, it's more sacred than we were treating it. And what does he say this? He says, we didn't do it the first time. Why? For we didn't inquire of him about the proper procedures. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel. Then the Levites carried the ark of God the way Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord on their shoulders with the poles. Now, They, they, they've reset, and they said, okay, we're going to do this the right way, and then what happens? David, the same group. It's the same group. It's the same group of people. David, the elders of Israel, and the commanders of thousands went with re, and re, uh, rejoicing to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom. Because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with God's help, they sac uh, sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. With God's help, they carry the Ark. What does that mean? It means they didn't die. It means they got so close to the presence of God in His holiness, and they didn't die because God helped them. Because God had prescribed that way. All right, now David. Now this is another change of David's heart. Now David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites, and were carrying the ark, as well as the singers and the Shenaniah, the music leaders of the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. What is he doing? He's not coming into Jerusalem as the conquering king. He's coming into Jerusalem dressed like a priest. He's wearing the same type of outfit the priest did. It's a humble outfit. It's a simple outfit. He's coming in in the right posture. He's saying, I'm not the king. You are the king, and I serve you. That's what worship is about. I'm not the king. You're the king. Then what happens? So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord with shouts, the sounds of the ram's horns, trumpets, and cymbals, and the playings of the harps and the lyre. So the celebration is appropriate. Do you get this? Their celebration wasn't wrong. Their heart was wrong. Worship is more than the celebration. It's got to come from a place of humbleness, obedience. And love for God. It can't just be a party. It can't just be a feel-good moment. Though it does feel good. Right? And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David. Saul's daughter, Michael, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing. What is he doing? He's not riding a horse. 
He's not coming into the city like a conquering hero. He's coming into the city in a humble posture, excited that the real king is coming into the city. That's worship, man. Putting God, keeping God in his proper place and realizing what our place is. And we get to, we get to worship this God who created the heavens and the earth, who by his word spoke everything that is into existence. We get to worship him. We get to know him. We get to praise him. That's exciting. You may be having a bad week. Guess what? You get to praise him. You, you get to know him. You may be having a great week. Guess what? You get to praise him because he's God. You may be sick. Guess what? You get to praise him. You may be on cloud nine. You get to praise him. You may have relationship struggles today. You get to praise him. He's your God. You get to praise him. I'm telling you, folks, this is the joy. This is what causes us to, to, to it should be the thing that causes us to worship God and receive. As we worship the God and we glorify God, we are edified in the worship. But it can't be about our edification. It's got to be about his glorification. And then we will receive more than we expected. He was leaping and dancing, and Michael, his wife, despised him for it. Why? Why did she despise him for it? Because he looked like a fool. He wasn't very, he wasn't very kingly at that moment. Yep. That's like David's like, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. We tried sitting on the horse. We realized we had to get down on the ground. We tried the celebration for the sake of celebration. Didn't work. Let's try worshiping God for who he is. Get down off my quote-unquote high horse and worship the king of the universe. For the post-exilic readers, the story would speak to the importance of taking care of God's house, and the Levites were charged with ministering to the people. Even in the book of Haggai, he describes the struggle of forgetting God's temple and worship in the post-exilic um, Jerusalem. So this is something that they had to be reminded of. God didn't just care about the Levites and the proper worship order, but the nation of true worship and a life lived before God in the God of the universe. Throughout Chronicles, the author stresses the importance of serving and worshiping God with all our hearts, with the whole heart. I think David got this lesson. Later on in his life, when David seeks to give his son Solomon some kingly advice, he tells him this in 1 Chronicles 28. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. David got it. God didn't kill Uzzah that day. David did. David killed Uzzah that day. God knew the heart of the man 
and he knew it wasn't right, and he knew he wasn't doing things right because his heart was not on God. If David had left the ark where it was and just built in Jerusalem, David would have been fine. But when you start to try to manipulate, worship, to to fit your needs and your wants, you're, you're treading on the sacred, and it's time to take off your shoes and humble yourself before the God of the universe. It seemed like David learned the lesson that Saul never could. So he fell down, but his head wasn't chopped off and his hands weren't chopped off. He fell down, but he got back. Now, pastor, this is all Old Testament. What about grace? What about grace? What about grace? What about it? Did grace change God? You're like, hmm. Did grace change God? No. It changed our access to that God. That's what grace did. In the Isaiah passage, Isaiah is undone. He's like, I can't, who, who can stand before this God? And God sends an angel, one of those weird Creatures that had six wings. I don't even know how that works. When we look at prophecy, we look at visions of heaven, we have to understand that someone like Isaiah is, is Isaiah Ezekiel, am I wrong? Isaiah, good. I was like, had a moment there. Um, Isaiah is trying to describe things that are undescribable. And the things that are coming at him and are, look like an angel with six wings and in Revelation, that same being has eyes that cover all of the whole thing. That's a weird-looking thing. I don't, but he's trying to explain what this thing is, and he can't. But at that moment, he's undone. He's like, I feel like my, my body is unraveling before the glory of this God, and God sends an angel who takes a coal from the altar. And he touches Isaiah's lips and says, uh, this coal, the coal makes you clean, makes you able to stand in the presence of God. And then the voice comes from the throne and says, who will go for me and speak my words? And he says, here I am, Lord, send me. What, what was his statement? I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. So the coal cleansed his lips. Guys, that's what Christ did for all of us. That's what grace is. It's the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that didn't change God. It just changed our access. So yes, we are supposed to go boldly before the throne of grace. We're supposed to go boldly. But it doesn't say we should go inappropriately. It doesn't say we should go in a way that is unworthy. When Jesus was talking, he said, I got an idea for you. Next time you go worship, next time you bring sacrifice to the temple, if you remember that you have an issue with one of your brothers, leave the, leave the gift at the altar, go make it right with your brother, and then come back and worship. It's not that I don't want you to worship, but I want you to have a right heart. I want you to do it for the right reasons. I am God. So yes, we have grace. Go boldly. Go boldly before God. But make sure you have a heart that's humble and obedient to the God of the universe. He hasn't changed. 
He's the same yesterday, today, forever. It's just that we have this access through the slain blood of Jesus Christ. That should make you want to worship even more. It's pretty awesome stuff. Let me read you a couple more passages, New Testament passages, that help us understand what worship looked like for us in the church, right? That would be good, right? We want to know, this is, we don't have temples and we don't have Ark of the Covenants anymore. We don't, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, say something right here that'll kind of knock your wig off. We don't have temples and arcs. You are the temple. Think about how we ought to, how much more. We're not just going to a temple. We're not just going and worshiping at a place. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know where God resides? He resided between the, the cherubim on the top of the ark. There's the mercy seat of God. Now he says, no, the Holy Spirit now lives in you. So you don't have to go somewhere to worship. You don't, your worship is your life. That was off topic. Here we go. Colossians 3, 12 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, this is a paraphrase. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, you are set apart and dearly loved. Those of you, that's us. The dearly loved, chosen ones, the ones who are set apart and dearly loved. Put on compassion. You're going to find out that worship is a little bit different in Colossians. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. See, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so we should also be a people who who exemplify forgiveness. Verse 14, above all. Now, he he said all that stuff. He said we we should be compassionate. We should be kind. We should be humble, gentle, and patient. How many people struggle with all of those? Sometimes. Forgiveness, he says, above all this, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. What happens when we worship God that way? When we worship God through our lives, through an attitude that is in line with how he wants us to treat people, this is what happens. And the peace of Christ to whom you were also called in one body, will rule in your hearts. How many people like the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts? And be thankful. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Be thankful. I was asking, I was uh, doing a study the other day, and one of the things that was talking about, how do you enjoy God? And it, it really bothered me so much, the question, that, that worshiping God is, in, uh, is enjoying God. I'm like, I don't enjoy God. I enjoy doing things. You know, I, I enjoy his nature. But am I, am I worshiping? To worship God is to enjoy him, okay? Well, am I worshiping the nature or am I worshiping God? How am I enjoying? It was in my head. So I brought the question around the, the dining room table the other night. And I said, guys, what do you think? My kids, I said, what do you think it means to enjoy God? And my son said, was it Lincoln or you? One of you two. You guys are so smart. You know, from the mouth of babes, right? I said, I just think, Dad, enjoying God is just being thankful for everything that he gives us and, and is to us. I enjoy God because 
we can't really, we don't, you don't see him like we would a person. So I can enjoy a person, but I can't that way. I enjoy God by being thankful. I'm like, you're preaching this week. That's pre- he's preaching to me. Be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you as you study the wisdom of Christ's teaching. Also, celebrate and encourage one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude from the depths of your heart. That's the celebration part. But did you, did you see all the things that like, went ahead of that? The lifestyle part, the, the part of worship that is done when I interact with another person? The worship part and how I live my life? The worship part and how I'm, I, I, my posture is towards God? Am I thankful? And then we get to the celebration part, and it's great, and it's prescribed, and we should do it. But then 17 comes in. It says, but check it. It says, whatever you do, either through speech or action, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? I want to read one more to you. And this is Jesus speaking. I figure it's good to end with Jesus speaking. John 4, Jesus told the Samaritan woman this, believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So it's not going to matter where you worship, it's not going to matter, because you're not going to go to worship anymore. You're not going to go to worship anymore. You are going to be the, the, the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. So you're going to take worship with you wherever you go. And then we'll come together and we'll celebrate together. All of our worship will mingle together in this celebration of song and symbols and jumping up and down. But worship is going to be something you carry with you. It's not going to matter if you do it on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem. Verse 23. But an hour is coming, it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does that even mean? I believe David was worshiping God in spirit, but he forgot the truth. He was, wor- he was all into it. He was worshiping God. He was... Songs, all this stuff. He was worshiping in the spirit of it. But he forgot that truth matters. That there is a way in which God needs to be treated and understood. And when he did that, and he put it all together, and he had the proper things going on, they did the same things in the celebration, yet it was received because it was done in spirit and in truth. Wouldn't it be awful? Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be awful? If all of our worship here on a Sunday morning was worthless because it wasn't done in truth, we could spend years singing songs and it would be worthless because it wasn't done in truth. And the truth walks with you. The Spirit walks with you. It's in your life. So don't go out and treat your coworkers like garbage and then come in here and sing songs. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear me? Don't go out there and 
think that the, the laws of God don't matter in your life and then come in here and sing songs. You hear what I'm saying? And if I, if I'm, one of these days I'm going to do it, when I'm going to do it, I'm going to install a mirror on that back wall because I'm preaching to me too. You understand me? It's spirit and it's truth. He says this. I'm going to read it again. But an hour is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's what he's seeking. The Father is seeking such people, people who will worship him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and will worship him with the truth of who he is. It's not about, it's not about me, it's about him. He is worthy. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm going to do, I'm going to live the life. I'm going to show mercy and love and kindness and grace and compassion. And I'm going to be forgiving and I'm going I'm I'm to be all these things. I'm going to be thankful. And then I'm going to come into church on Sunday mornings and I'm going to, Lend my worship to the worship of everybody else in there. We're going to celebrate. And I'm going to go back in my week and I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship the way I, with the way I treat my wife, with the way I treat my kids. I'm going to worship the way I treat my coworkers. I'm going to worship by studying the word of God. I'm going to worship by praising him in the car. Turn off the radio and worship God for a bit. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to live a life of worship. And I'm going to celebrate. Maybe God is asking you the same question he's asking Ezekiel. Who will go? Who will be that guy? Who will be that girl? Who will be that? And I hope with me, you're saying, here I am, Lord. I'll be that. Send me. Send me in to live a life of worship amongst my peers, amongst my neighborhood, amongst, I'm here. Send me. I want to be that. I want to worship you in spirit 